Welcome to the Money Answer Show with host Jordan Goodman. Whether you are starting out, deep into your retirement, or somewhere in between, the Money Answer Show has the know-how to help you. Now here's your host, Jordan Goodman. Bishop. He is the author of a new book called Hidden Cash Uncovered, Tax Tales, Tips, and Truths That Can Save You Thousands. Uh, he is a certified financial planner based in Brunswick, Maine. Welcome to the Money Answer Show, Christian. Well, thank you, and thank you for having me today. Just give us a little bit of your background uh, leading into writing this book. Sure. I uh, started in the uh, financial service field as a tax accountant, later adding financial planning. I've worked with individuals and small business owners for over 25 years, um, serving their needs as a certified financial planner, as you mentioned, but also as an enrolled agent, which we can talk about what that is later. Um, I have clients in over a dozen states or so and a passion for educating the public in all areas of tax and financial planning matters, which led to the book, um, as you mentioned, that recently came out, is my hope is that I can educate a wider audience than I do today. So we'll just kind of start at a broad level. Uh, why is it that most people are missing a lot of tax deductions and ways of saving on taxes when the, it's pretty clear what's in the tax code? Yeah, it is a great question. And I'll start with, um, in fact, for most of the country today is the deadline. Um, Massachusetts and Maine have an extra day, but just the money that's left on the table that the IRS knows is um, should be claimed by different people. This year is $1.5 billion with a B that's going to expire from 2018. There's a statute of limitations. That's the money where somebody literally has money coming back to them, but they didn't file the tax return just to get that money. And the IRS isn't going to send it unless they do. And this isn't about stimulus or anything like that. This is just somebody who worked at a job. They might not have made a lot of money, so weren't technically required to file, yet literally are leaving money on the table with the government. That's the easy money. And it blows my mind that that money is left on the table. And every year about this time, it expires from three years prior. So to answer your question, I really don't know why. The tax code is very complicated and it's always changing. And I think some people just rely on what they've always done to continue always doing what they've done and not make changes. But let's start with just claiming what's already yours. And that is hard to do sometimes. Now, the tax law change of 2017 raised the standard deduction dramatically, and that meant something like 80, 85 percent of people uh, claim the standard deduction, therefore don't do any itemized deductions and so on. So has that made it easier for people to file taxes but not give them the opportunity to get deductions that they did in the past? So, Jordan, you're correct, and that was a major change, and in theory, if it had stuck that way, <laughs> I think that there would be a lot more people who would be getting everything that's owed to them. But as soon as that tax law changed, they started doing add-ons. Then we had COVID. There was a number of different stimulus acts um, or stimulus law changes um, that went into effect. Some have changes to the changes already at multiple levels. So what seemed like an easy fix, make it simple for people, is the reality is it isn't. And there's still far too many people missing out on opportunities just because they didn't know or understand it. Is it a matter of education? Is it the IRS is not educating people or financial planners are not educating people? Why are people missing out on legitimate uh, deductions and money the government owes them? A good chunk is everything you just said, meaning that the IRS 
doesn't do a good job educating the public and they would probably tell you it's not their job although i would argue that um, certainly you can go to their website and you can learn a lot but it's not always user friendly the tax accountants out there in the world are doing the job as best they can software programs are doing the job that they can but the reality is there's still far too much left on the table and I still think it boils down to is that people don't ask enough questions. And sort of like when you go to your doctor, you might just say, oh, that's it. That's what I got to do. OK, fine. But if you don't ask questions, how do you know that that really is the best plan for you? So there is still far too much left on the table. It is education. I do think that there are holes. And a lot of people don't go to these services. There are still a lot of people who do it themselves on software programs. And the software program is good but only with the information you put into it. Yeah, let's go to some specific areas. So let's talk about hobbies versus business activities. A lot of people today are doing gig work, they're doing DoorDash or Uber or Lyft or something in addition to their regular job. What are some of the tax things they should be watching out for when they've got gig work? You know, and, and you'd mentioned um, the tax law changes where we had this higher standard deduction. Part of that higher standard deduction is what eliminated certain itemized deductions. And this has been an issue for those who have hobbies versus a small business. So the IRS has a whole bunch of stuff you can read about, but basically a hobby and a business um, can both generate income, right? But if you're not seeking and have a profit, at least in a period of time, generally a profit is like three out of every five years, then you might be deemed a, not a business, but a hobby. So if you're a hobby, you have to claim all your income, but now under the temporary rules that expire in 2025, you can't write off your expenses to hobby income. So you wanna be a business. Well, to be a business, you definitely have to have a profit motive. You have to spend substantial time in whatever activity it is, and there's a number of other tests. But ultimately, if you're claiming losses each year, the IRS might come back on you and say, oh, you're not a business, you're a hobby. So it's really important with these gig type activities or part-time work that you document everything that you're doing, but you really wanna try to be a business, have a profit, because otherwise, you could be stuck paying taxes on income that you really didn't get. And I'll give you an example. If you generate $2,000 as a little side activity as a hobby, you weren't deemed a business, and you had expenses of $1,000, you can't write off those expenses anymore, at least not through 2025. You will have to pay income on that full $2,000. Whereas if you are a business and you have profit motive and you've done your documentation, you spend substantial time in the activity, et cetera, and you generated $2,000 and you had $1,000 expenses, you're only paying tax on that $1,000. So it really is important, if you can, to be a business versus a hobby, but you gotta be careful because if you're losing money every year, the IRS will come back and say, well, you're not really a business because no business loses money every single year or would go out of business. So I think that we have to be really careful with these side hustles. Um, and again, through 2025, um, you're not gonna be able to write off your hobby expenses against your hobby income. I mean, motive is, is an opinion. <laughs> it's, it's it is. Fact. How do you prove you have a profit motive? And you know, say business is bad. Uh, you know, we had a huge, the economy cratered during the coronavirus. Uh, a lot of people lost their jobs. Everybody didn't buy anything. 
it was a very bad time for business. You, you might have had the motive to earn a profit, but you weren't able to in a very bad economy. How do you prove motive? I love that question. And I have, I, I try my best to educate my clients on um, that exact point. It is a state of mind. The IRS, though, would say, if you look at some of the data points, and there are different articles that they have out there that you could look at, is that the outcome really is more important. So they have a test, and it's the three out of five year test, if, or you can say two out of five years, depending which way you want to look at it. If you're making money three out of a five year rolling period, you're likely a business. If you're losing money, three out of a five-year period, um, then you're probably not. So in other words, you can lose money two out of a five-year period and they probably won't question your state of mind. And I would agree that, you know, it is a state of mind, but the final outcome probably will determine if you're really a business or a hobby. So if you go into a business that turns out to be a bad business because the economy really was bad for that particular business, you have a motive to have a profit but it's impossible to have a profit because there's not people buying your stuff. You don't have a business, you have a hobby. Is that what you're saying? Likely, however, I would make another argument and you can, you can actually uh, request a determination to delay. Um, and I think COVID was a perfect example of that. My goodness, if you started a restaurant <laughs> and exactly. I, uh, so sad that there's been so many people who did start restaurants um, and or already had existing ones and they're now gone. But if you started a business just before COVID hit, how could you get a, have a profit? So you certainly can get exceptions to that rule and um, so it's not a hard and fast rule it's more of a guide although sometimes you have to argue that point with the IRS I think these days they probably would just let it ride because frankly lots of businesses lost money in the last few years so has the IRS softened a bit on this whole question of hobby versus business in light of the pandemic I have not seen a particular case recently where it's been challenged. So in my mind, now that doesn't mean they're not happening. I'm just saying in my sphere of my dealings with clients and business groups that I've been involved with and involved with, I am not seeing challenges. And that doesn't mean they're not happening. So I would say that it's not so much softened as it is that they probably are ignoring that particular th issue right now because they have bigger fish to fry, so to speak. So when you're considering to start a business or go into consulting work, something like that, people don't often think of the income tax implications of it, particularly related to self-employment taxes. What are the surprises that people face when they're starting a business or consulting that they should think about? Recently, I've had an issue with that exact situation with a person who last year started a side business or gig and did okay with it, did some consulting work. And you know, there's different websites you can go through um, that you can become a consultant, do editing, graphic design, whatever. Made a little bit of money and um, was pretty pleased with herself. And tax time rolls around. She definitely is a business because she made enough money and she was spending a lot of time on it. Ended up making net after her expenses about $10,000. Okay, it's just a side gig, but you know what? Good for her. She thought that $10,000 was hers. <laughs> what she forgot about is that the government basically is owed money too. 
And when you're self-employed, you have to pay 15.3% right on the profit, right off the top. That 15.3% is essentially your Medicare and Social Security taxes, but times two. And people forget about that. When you work at a job, they're withholding 7.65% to go to so-called FICA taxes, those taxes I mentioned. The employer has to match that. When you're the employee employer and you have a small you know, side business, you're both sides of that equation. You're paying both the employer and the employee share. Now, that's the 15.3%, so she owes a little over $1,500. Nobody withheld that for her, so she didn't set it aside. And then to add insult to injury, she, of course, owes income taxes. And when you owe income taxes, that's, you know, there's some deductions you can take. In her line of business, she was able to take a special 20% deduction off her profit before income taxes were calculated. That was part of the 2017 tax cut. Um, But she still owed taxes on that. So she ended up owing for the first time in her life because she was under this idea that, oh, I made $10,000. It's mine, but it isn't because you still you have to think about not only Social Security, Medicare, federal, and in her case, also state income taxes. And that surprise hit her pretty hard in her wallet because she hadn't planned for it. Yeah, very good. We're going to take a break. This is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Christopher Bishop. He has written a new book called Hidden Cash Uncovered, Tax Tales, Tips, and Truths That Can Save You Thousands. You can find out more at his website hiddencashuncovered.com. We'll be back after this. All around the world, tech companies are innovating and driving returns for investors. Our crowd analyzes companies across the global private market, selecting those with the greatest growth potential, then brings them to you. From personalized medicine to cybersecurity to open source intelligence, a multi-billion dollar and growing market, our crowd is identifying innovators, so you can invest where growth potential is greatest early. Our crowd is the fastest growing venture capital investment community. Our crowd's accredited investors have already invested over $1 billion in growing tech companies. 21 of the portfolio companies are unicorns. And many of our crowd's members have benefited from over 40 IPOs or sale exits of portfolio companies. Now you can invest in Syabra whose AI-powered SaaS platform analyzes billions of online conversations to help companies gain authentic consumer insights while fighting disinformation in real time. Syabra is trusted by global media giants, consumer brands, and high-level government agencies. Invest today at our crowd. Invest in Syabra at OURCROW.com slash answers. You can join our crowd for free at OURCROW.com slash answers. Join the fastest growing venture capital investment community at OurCrowd.com slash answers. Nobody likes the guy who says, I told you so. The guy in 1991 who said to you, invest in the internet, it's going to be huge. Or the guy in 1997 who said, come on, this is going to be big. They call it social media. And the guy in 2009 who said, I'm telling you, man, crypto is real. Now, I'm not going to be that guy who says, I told you so. But I am telling you that there is a 21-year-old international company where you can become a global project partner, earning a passive income doing exactly what you're doing at this moment. No selling, no recruiting clients, no administering a business after hours. Visit www.mypassiveincome.life now. 
That's mypassiveincome.life. Don't let history repeat itself on this one. Earn a passive income. Now listen again. That's mypassiveincome.life. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective. Plus topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite host. It's just a click away at blog.voiceamerica.com. That's blog.voiceamerica.com. The Voice America Press Blog. All access, all the time. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now. Toll free. 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to Money Up Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Christian Bishop. He's a certified financial planner. He's an author of a new book called Hidden Cash Uncovered, Tax Tales, Tips, and Truths That Can Save You Thousands. You can find out more about it at his website, hiddencashuncovered.com. Welcome back to the show, Christian. Thank you. So let's talk about fraud. There's a lot of IRS scams out there. What are some of the things people should be watching out for? And I think um, all of us, and maybe not all of us, but a good portion of your audience um, has received either a text message, an email, or a phone call of someone who's impersonating the IRS in one way or another. Um, and that's just one group of the types of fraud um, and scams that are going on. But right now is also a particular twist on it in that we also have COVID and there's all the stimulus checks and with that created a whole nother level of of calls. And one of the things I think is really important for people to understand, the IRS isn't gonna call you without first having sent you a letter telling you that you owe money or whatever the situation is, or maybe you've been selected for an audit, et cetera. They will never, ever, ever call you and try to get money from you to get your own money or to have you pay them money that's owed with debit, gift cards, wire transfers, etc. Right off the bat, if they're asking for that, you know it's fake. You also know it's fake when you didn't receive a letter and if it's about money owed, they would send it certified mail to you. And even that you can't trust 100% because scammers are getting smart. They keep adding levels of sophistication to it. But definitely the phone calls, emails, and text messages wanting you to reach out to them immediately and you know, you got this debt and if you don't do it, they're gonna have the police come and arrest you. That's all fake. And in fact, some have reported that they do get a call and on their caller ID, it looks like it's from their local sheriff or police department. 
Now, of course, what they're doing is spoofing that number. Sadly, it's easy to do this type of stuff. Anybody can basically spoof these days. There's apps out there you can use to do it. And so what they'll do is they'll call you, say you owe a bunch of money, and if you don't pay, they're gonna, you're going to get arrested, and then you hang up on them. Then you get this call. It looks like it's from the local sheriff's department or police department telling you that it's you know, deputy or police officer so-and-so, and the IRS wants them to come down. They're going to be at your house in 15 minutes or your place of employment unless you call that number back to the IRS that they gave you. Of course, that's all fake, all part of the scam. Just hang up and ignore that. You can then call the number yourself by looking it up separately and let the police department know that this is happening. The IRS also on their website has a place where you can go in and report this type of thing, but it's happening all over the country all the time. That's one type. What is the IRS doing about this? That's like after it's happened, but are they trying to prevent these scams? They are. And, um, you know, I don't think anybody loves the IRS, <laughs> but let me tell you is that they're scrambling and I believe they are putting certain controls in place that help. Um, for example, one of these scams that was happening for a while, if you lost a loved one in December, um, the scammers go out and they search nationwide. They look for people who've died. They go and they get copies of death certificates um, from town halls, especially the smaller towns where you know, certain controls are not as tight. They use the information off that death certificate to file a fraudulent fake income tax return, all made up stuff, get a refund and split. Well, the IRS several years back got wise to that type of scam and they're coordinating with Social Security office and they're in a much tighter uh, relationship when somebody dies people do notify Social Security. It's one of the things that people, you know, know to do. And if it's not you, it's it's whoever's handling the final affairs for um, a decedent. Well, Social Security is getting that information over to the IRS much quicker than it used to be. It used to lag a couple of months. Now it's days. And so as an example of trying to tighten that type of scam um, is to essentially speed the process up because, boy, you want to talk about a sad thing is when you go to file your income tax return as a widow and you get a notice from the IRS saying, oh, this tax return's already been filed for your late spouse. And you're like, oh, my gosh. Wow, it's, it's terrible. It's it bad. is. What were some of the things particularly related to the pandemic as far as the PPP program, for example, or child tax credit or uh, the American Recovery Act checks? Were there scams and people? Uh, getting illegitimate money from those kind of programs? Yes, and now, there was many levels, many, many, many levels. Where I'm concerned was when one of my clients or someone I know is being scammed because of it, the government was dealing with two sides of that. One is trying to get the money to the legitimate people who um, had applied for or were entitled to it, but then somebody else is scamming in between. That's one level. But then the government also had to deal with all of the fake returns being filed, fake information being filed with PPP, especially that was bigger dollars because people could go after, you know, millions of dollars. Um, but there was a whole slew during the pandemic of foreign entities and probably domestic that were setting up and applying for these different programs and getting money big money in some cases. So there was two levels. I'm concerned, obviously, as a taxpayer with all of it, but as an advisor with my clients, making sure that, hey, you got your money. That was We want to make sure you got it. And that fake phone call or that email or that text message saying that something's wrong with your um, 
with your um, advanced credit, you must call this number. No, you don't. That's a scam. And they're just trying to get that money. So you had to be very careful. But there were multi, multi levels. We saw it all in the news. Um, but you just have to always think as a skeptic, why is somebody calling me? Why are they emailing me? Sometimes they just want to get your information for use later. They weren't even scamming you today. It's for the future. Um, but you got to be a skeptic and protect yourself. But they must have known this. When they passed these mm. various stimulus acts and uh, American Recovery Act and the, all these things, they must have known the, the IRS this was going to happen. Did they not do anything preventive to stop this, from, this flood from happening? I don't think enough. And I think there probably was some preventative measures put in place, you know, at the basic level. But the bad people are really, really smart. And look at what they did with um, the additional monies for unemployment, you know, so depending on the state you were in, you could get um, a considerable amount of more of unemployment dollars um, if you were unemployed during the peak COVID year, right? And what ended up happening was these entities, my information was taken. I got a, I'm both the employer and the employee of my company. And I got a notice that I was filing an unemployment claim. And I'm like, wait, I'm the person who signs off on that. Pretty sure I'm not uh, getting an unemployment claim. Millions of people around the country got hit with that. That was a quasi state and federal issue. But just to show you, these folks got away with millions and millions and millions of dollars, maybe even billions, you know. So I don't think that the IRS and states did enough, frankly. And I think, my opinion, that in some ways they were just more interested about getting the money out to the bulk of the people, knowing that there would be a certain level of fraud. That's an opinion. I don't know that. So President Biden has talked about beefing up the IRS a lot and adding, I think it was $80 billion to their budget. And he said that would collect you know, billions of dollars is not being collected now. I think that was stalled. And the Senate was part of the Build Back Better program. Do you think that's necessary to bulk the IRS up uh, to collect a lot of this money they should be collecting? I'm not in favor of bulking up the IRS in that manner and, and performing more audits on the average person. Um, I think technology needs to be beefed up. I don't like personally intrusions of, of you know, our personal lives to any significant degree more than it is today. But I do believe with technology, they probably could fine tune and get a lot of that money. But if they do beef it up, I don't think it needs to be in the area that affects most people because, frankly, we've got enough we're dealing with. The average person out there working is just trying to get by. And my opinion is if they're going to beef that up, part of that job duty should be looking for those people who are owed that money I talked about earlier because nothing irks me more knowing that today – is the deadline where $1.5 billion is going to become the IRS as well, you know, the governments, even though they know there are people out there who deserve that money. So if the IRS is beefed up, I think that part of that direction should be they also seek out the people, see why they didn't file. And if it was just because they didn't know, give them their money. So make it a two-way street, not a one-way street. If that's what they want to do, you know, going after people who really owe, then let's get that money back to the people who actually are owed it. As part of that, there are a bunch of different numbers that are thrown around about what is not collected. This kind of underground economy. What yeah. What is your rough estimate of how much is le legitimately owed and not paid every year? Just roughly. 
<laughs> I think it is in the billions. Um, and I would only say that just because, you know, I can't be in this business for 25 years and not know that maybe some contractors and restaurants and cash businesses report every dollar. I don't know it material, but y you got to see it and you start thinking, hmm. So there probably is a fair amount of money that isn't um, collected and paid on. But it could just be that they just don't understand it in a lot of cases, meaning, you know, um, situations where they're not doing anything wrong legally. They just didn't know that they had to report certain types of income, maybe. So I think it's in the billions um, and they probably would collect more if they do beef up the IRS. But again, I think it should be a two way street, not just a one way street. Very good. We're going to take another break. This is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Chris Bishop. Uh, he is the author of Hidden Cash Uncovered, uh, which is uh, tax tales, tips, and truths that could save you thousands. You can find out more at his website, hiddencashuncovered.com. We'll be back after this. Stocks, bonds, investment opportunities, financial news, and talk. We can help. Call us now toll-free, 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Do you or someone you love have a life insurance policy that's no longer needed or not affordable? Did you know that you can sell your policy for cash? Your reason for buying life insurance has probably changed. Thousands of Americans turn to life insurance settlements to help sell their policies. They act as your representative, getting the highest market offer for you. You've got nothing to lose by simply inquiring. If you're over 64 with $100,000 or more of life insurance, you may already qualify. Call 877-485-6681 to get your free non-binding appraisal or visit FundingLife.com. Life Insurance Settlements. Discover the true value of your life insurance. 877-485-6681. Jordan Goodman is an affiliate. He recognizes quality solutions, forming relationships to help improve the lives of his listeners. Tune in to the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics, reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Christian Bishop. He's the author of a book called Hidden Cash Uncovered, Tax Tales, Tips, and Truths That Could Save You Thousands. You can find out more at his website, HiddenCashUncovered.com. Welcome back to the show, Christian. Thank you. So tell us the difference between taking a deduction you think you're entitled to versus fraudulent activity. When you are planning out and sitting down to do your taxes and you find that there's a deduction you think you might be entitled to, and let's say you're able to itemize, and you have this belief that I, I'm pretty sure I can take this deduction. I think that it's legitimate, and you take it. 
And then let's say you later on it turns out that um, the IRS disallows it because you aren't entitled to it. Um, an example might be that you know earlier we talked about you know you can't write off hobby losses right now um, under temporary rules through 2025. Um, or hobby expenses, excuse me, against hobby income. But you really were under the belief system because you always used to and you did it anyways, and they disallow it. That is not fraudulent. That's making a mistake. You had a belief that you were entitled to it. Um, you're not a tax expert. You are doing your taxes yourself. No problem. But then you've got folks out there who take deductions that there's no basis for, completely made up. I can remember some cases where I reviewed a tax return and it actually technically was prepared by another person, um, but they had this one business expense I remember as an employee, I mean, excuse me, a job-related expense was professional development. Now, this particular person was a um, an iron worker at a local shipyard and um, I happened to know a little bit about that trade and I'm like, professional development? Hmm, what was that? And I asked him and he's like, I don't know. She just put it down there. It turns out, oh, it was a fraudulent activity, and the person who was doing it, um, later on, the IRS audited every return she had prepared. Turned out she was throwing stuff in to get people the biggest refunds, completely made up stuff. Unfortunately for those individuals, they did have to pay back their taxes. They weren't fraudulent themselves in the sense that the IRS went after the preparer, not them, but they still had to pay it back with interest. Um, but meanwhile, the difference is with the intent to defraud the government and in fact are, that's fraud. Taking a deduction you think you're entitled to and you have some basis for it, that isn't. Um, if you're hiring a professional, well, then they are under a slightly different standard. It's more stringent, but it's the same idea. Um, but there are cases after case after case where even famous people are in prison or were in prison because they defrauded the government, used frivolous arguments. I mean, look at Wesley Snipes. I always like to point to that one. He got out of jail a few years ago, but he spent three years in prison. And it was because he went under this basis that he didn't have to pay taxes on that income he was making. And it was millions. And he refused to. Well, guess what? His argument didn't hold water in court. He ended up going to jail. It's a real thing. Courts see people like that all the time. Frivolous arguments, making stuff up. Don't do it. There's what plenty the, of good, legitimate stuff you can do. What are some frivolous arguments? For example, your religion says that you're not allowed to pay taxes. That, or what, what are some of the frivolous arguments that don't work that people try? <laughs> there was a book going around for a while, um, a booklet, that was trying to teach people that because of the, and I actually forget the amendment at the moment, so don't quote me on the amendment, but the 19th Amendment or the 9th Amendment, whatever it was, was not ratified by the states. That, that whole argument never worked, didn't hold water, completely wrong, and people are in jail. Um, the religion part, you certainly have the freedom of religion, but the Supreme Court has ruled it doesn't matter. You're still going to pay income taxes if you have taxable income. Obviously, not all income is taxable, um, but many or most income is. In fact, the government's basic rule is all income is taxable unless specifically excluded. So um, frivolous arguments of like the amendment not being ratified, wrong, religion, wrong. Um, I've seen people who felt like that because the government um, has not spent their money in a way that they felt was the right way, which, hey, <laughs> I think we can all point to some situation like that, wrong, all frivolous. But it can go further with the IRS when it's a frivolous thing where you 
aren't quite fraudulent, but you're kind of stretching the truth. And they will say, well, that argument doesn't hold water. And they might give you a special penalty, not go to jail, not criminal, but you might pay a penalty because you should have known better. Um, you can't write off lawn maintenance um, because you uh, um, want to you know, make your house worth more in the future. That's a frivolous argument. Um, now, if you invest in your house, yes, that can absolutely become part of your basis, but just lawn care doesn't really work. So you'd run afoul of the IRS maybe in that case. Yeah. Uh, in, in picking software, when should people try to do the taxes themselves using software and when should they use an accountant? I feel like the more you're willing to invest time and energy educating yourself, that the software programs are perfectly fine and work really, really well. In fact, I've seen where software programs have done better jobs than some accountants out there who maybe aren't doing the best work. Um, I'm not going to pick on any franchise, but there's a number of franchises out there where when you go in to get your tax return prepared, the person who prepared it may only have six weeks of training. You might know more than them. They're just inputting into the same software program. So for those who are willing to spend a little bit of time educating themselves, reading the different paragraphs that pop up when you're on certain sections of that tax software program and you read about it, um, I feel like the software is a great place. But to answer your question where really where does it really make sense to hire an accountant, it's anytime you're outside of the usual simple returns. If you just have a job, have a child, and maybe you're married or something and have a house, I think software is perfectly good as long as you watch out for certain deductions that you might miss by educating yourself. But if you have a small business, have complex investments, um, foreign sourced income mixed with U.S. sourced income and any of those kind of factors, finding a qualified person, I think, makes a lot of sense because they're going to be experts, hopefully, if you've done your research in those areas. And you probably couldn't spend the enough time to really learn every bit about it, or you could, but it might take you years and it's not worth your time. So we were going to have the Build Back Better program, which was going to have all kinds of tax changes, tax increases, uh, leveling out capital gains and regular income rates, uh, minimum tax, all those kind of things. That seemed to have gone away. Have there been any major tax changes this year uh, for people to deal with? Yes, and I frankly, I actually have to look stuff up more than I ever used to. I mean, in my mind, I know I went through it and there was this change, but the issue we've had in the last few years, we've had so many, many tax law changes. Some are temporary, some are temporary longer, some are temporary shorter. This year, or excuse me, tax year 2021, which is what you're preparing right now or hopefully have, because um, today's the deadline for most people, um, has a number of changes that were temporary that expire. And 2022, which is what we're in now, but preparing next year, unless government changes, we're reverting back to pre-pandemic rules that were part of the 2017 Tax Cut and Jobs Act, <laughs> which is only effective through 2025. What would be some examples of something that expired? We're going back to where we were before. So if you look at and just an example that affects a lot of people, the child tax credit. You know, right now there's um, people who are filing 2021's tax credit. It was enhanced. Um, that does not continue through 2022. 
rules surrounding ages even that affect people who are um, taking child um, care expenses. I mean, there's all these things that are temporary. A lot of them have to do with tax relief under stimulus. Um, but anybody who has children, there's a number of changes that, well, we're just going back to the way it was, unless extended. Um, so, and you see it in the news every day, they're talking about um, things, you know, that if unless government acts, we'll revert back. But don't forget, that's only reverting back to the 2017 tax cut. Yeah. In the latest budget, I think President Biden proposed a um, minimum tax for millionaires, and I think it was 20%, something like that. We've tried alternative minimum taxes many times before. Do you think the plan that he's proposing would work? You know, I, I, I don't – again, this is an opinion on my part is that no, I don't think that it will work. Um, one thing I've learned over 25 years of doing this and um, is that anytime something is passed that they have um, a goal, there's the unintended consequence rule that kind of kicks in. And while they may be able to get more money out of some people, yes, the devil is in the details. I will guarantee you that we read the law, there will be loopholes built into it on purpose, um, and it won't just be a one-page document. It'll be 450 pages, fine print, um, and I feel like that if we're going to make some change, we've got to really start from scratch, which I don't think ever will happen. Um, but if their goal is to get some more money temporarily, yeah, I think that would work. But I'm sure there will be some, and I will learn them, <laughs> some planning opportunities for because I don't just have middle class clients. I also have clients who are in the healthier financial end of the spectrum, and I'm going to look for opportunities for them. And I am sure I'll find some because they always build them into the tax code. I mean, what he's trying to get at is several very rich people pay little or no taxes. And same thing with corporations. Quite a large corporations don't pay any tax at all. It just seems very unfair and undercutting the whole system right. are things that could legitimately be done to have those people and corporations pay some taxes instead of nothing i think there should be and it's a policy issue more than what i'm probably qualified to answer but i know that when they first set up the original alternative minimum tax many years ago when they set that up and i don't remember the exact number so we'd have to go back and look but there was like 25 families in the country that were wealthy that weren't paying any federal income taxes it became a political issue way back then they passed the laws the alternative minimum tax the problem with that was back then it ended up continuing on without being indexed for inflation so that literally 25 million or so people and don't quote me on the exact number were paying the alternative minimum tax before they changed the rules in 2017. So we just have to be careful that whatever we set up now that we also think about the people it might affect later. So you're saying it's really more of a political thing. It's not a major revenue raiser. It's more of a political targeting thing of people who don't pay taxes. It makes the politicians feel good. Sometimes that is absolutely the case because it plays politically well. However, if you tax enough, there will be money that will come into the Treasury, no question. I mean, you can get that money, and I understand where they're coming from. But the unintended consequence of taxing under that proposal, folks who have built-in gains on their investments could affect right down to the mom and pop who have a 401k and affecting what they have as a balance because people might start selling and you start selling that could have the unintended consequence of driving the market further down that's just an example what would happen if there were a wealth tax 
where your assets were evaluated every year, appraised, and then you had to pay a tax on their wealth, not income. I'm not sure the actual net effect um, long term, but I suspect it won't just be a wealth tax. I think there will still be the income tax and combine those. Um, I look at Europe and I know they don't have a wealth tax, but you look at how they're taxed and compared to how we're taxed. Um, I feel like there's going to be some unintended consequences the more you tax. And I think maybe we don't have just a revenue problem. We've got, and I know it's a political thing, but I, I think we have a spending problem too. And we really have to look at both. Yes, we do. Very good. Okay, we're going to take another break. Uh, this is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Christian Bishop. He's a certified financial planner. Uh, he's the author of a new book called Hidden Cash Uncovered, Tax Tales, Tips, and Truths That Can Save You Thousands. You can find out more about it at his website, hiddencashuncovered.com. We'll be back after this. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. Are you a homeowner tired of making monthly mortgage payments with little progress towards paying down your principal? Does paying off your home in five to seven years without making larger or more frequent payments sound appealing? Paying off your home in full in five to seven years is really possible thanks to Truth and Equity's Mortgage Equity Optimization System, a money management approach that puts your money to work for you 24-7. If you own a home with some equity, have a decent credit score and verifiable income, you owe it to yourself to learn more about Truth and Equity's program. There's no need to replace your mortgage or refinance in many cases. The system works for new home purchases as well as current mortgages. Your home is your largest investment. Own it outright in five to seven years. Call Truth and Equity, 888-262-5540, or visit truthandequity.com, 888-262-5540. Jordan Goodman is an affiliate. He recognizes quality solutions, forming relationships to help improve the lives of his listeners. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Christian Bishop. He's a certified financial planner. He's the author of a new book called Hidden Cash Uncovered, Tax Tales, Tips, and Truths That Could Save You Thousands. You can find out more at his website, hiddencashuncovered.com. Welcome back to the show, Christian. Thank you. So let's talk about some of the most commonly missed deductions and credits. I know you go into more detail in the book, but let's just go through some of the ones uh, that people are missing all the time. Let's start with deductions. You know, right now, it's because of temporary rules. I'm going to tell you a couple of things I'm seeing that are happening now, um, and partly because of with COVID and things that have happened. Um, Part of the stimulus um, was to allow charitable donations above the line up to certain limits. Most people who in the past took standard deductions knew that they couldn't uh, write off you know, charitable donations, for example. But if you itemized, you could. And you always took the best deduction, either taken standard or itemized. Well, as you had mentioned earlier, the vast majority of people with higher standard deduction are taking 
the standard deduction versus itemizing. But temporarily for 2020 and 2021, so what you're filing now, um, there was an above the line deduction. It's not huge, but I'm seeing people miss it. And it's kind of like, wow, that's easy money. Just take it. And, and it's limited. If you file a return married filing joint, it's a $600 deduction. If you're an individual filer, it's a $300 deduction. I know it's not going to um, save you a ton of money, but frankly, it's. I would pick up a $20 bill on the ground if I saw it, so this is hopefully worth more than that to you. Um, and by the way, if, if you've already filed your taxes, you can still amend them. And so if you hear something today on, on your show and one of your listeners is just know that you can go back and amend your tax turn. There are some rules and statute of limitations. Um, but as far as deductions go, I'm also seeing right now, for those who are able to itemize, a unique thing I hadn't seen very often, but with low interest rates, um, starting when the pandemic hit, I saw folks um, doing, you know, with their mortgages, I saw them refinancing them. And in many cases, they were just refinancing the straight mortgage. They went from a 5% down to a 4.5% or 4% or whatever. They also, though, had to pay points or origination fees. Now, anybody who's in my business would know and software would know and accountants would know that those points or those origination fees had to be amortized over the life of the loan. In other words, you got a little deduction over a long period of time because it was a refinance. Well, then the pandemic continued and they dropped rates even further. We saw those same folks go back in and do another um uh, refinance and they may have dropped down to two and a half percent wow good for them great rate except they forgot this year and i've seen this they forgot that they had these points from last year when they did their refinance or the year before and they can now fast forward that entire deduction into 2021 tax return in most cases meaning you refinanced a couple of times you should go back and look at your paperwork did you pay points if you did and you were only going to take them over the life of the loan, you can fast forward that entire deduction because you refinanced again. Or maybe you sold your house, same thing. So watch out for those refinanced points. Make sure that you get that deduction. That's a good one, yeah. And how about credits? What are some credits that people are missing these days? It's an interesting thing, um, but, and this is one that I've seen in the past and it's an ongoing one. One of my favorite ones to find for people, and it's a, one of the first things I look for, if you got children under 13 years old and you're working, um, did you have any daycare expenses? And they'll say, no, my kid's 12. I don't have daycare expenses. He's fine or she's fine, right? You know, gets out of school. I, I meet them and we go do whatever. Okay, that's great. Did your child have any uh, day camp expenses? Um, uh, you know, for example, you know, soccer programs, basketball programs, any of those kind of things where they're not spending overnight on the summertime, you know, day camps? Oh, yeah, sure. Johnny was in XYZ. Oh, okay. Um, I see you didn't take the tax credit for that. And they say, what tax credit is there? There's no tax credit for sending my kid to a day camp for basketball. Well, the answer is there might be. And it basically, if you're working and meet other certain rules, um, but your child is in a day camp, yeah, the IRS will consider that child care. And you can take the child care credit up to certain limitations. I find that one more often than any other lost credit when there's a family involved because people don't think of their 12 year old or their 10 or 11 year old because they're in school as their child um, in a day camp when they're in a sport sporting activity and again it's 
you know, something where they're gone for the day while you're working or in the summertime. And that's the typical arrangement. It's not just having your son or daughter in a night's program um, and you're paying money for it because you're home with them. That's not really daycare. Although some would make the argument, maybe you could stretch it. I tend to say, no, it's the day camps. When you're at work, your child is being cared for. And IRS recognizes that. How about credits on investments like R&D credits or historical rehabilitation credits or uh, even alternative energy solar credits? Are those still out there? There are. Um, And with solar, one of the unique things. Now, there's a lot of easy stuff out there, but one I like to look for the things that not everybody knows. But one of the little tidbits with solar, and again, it's under some temporary rules where it is being phased out again, which they keep saying that and they keep bringing it back, and the limits change each year. But the interesting thing that not everybody knows, that solar can be for a second home too. So a lot of people might have solar put on their um, main house and they're getting a tax deduction and they're all happy. But we see in some rural states like Maine, New Hampshire, Vermont, folks will actually have homes, a vacation home in a remote area. There is no power available. They put in uh, solar. Or even if there is power, they're just doing it because it's uh, something they believe in. There is a credit for that. So you can use that same credit that you use for your main home for a second home. That's great. In, in general, what kind of difference would it make in people's tax lives to plan and research these things instead of just doing their taxes every year and not really thinking about it very much? It's huge. You know, one of the downsides of 2017 for some folks taking the standard deduction, they felt like they could no longer write off their charitable contributions. They were taking the standard deduction. It was worth more. But gosh, they still go to church and they still give, you know, $5,000 a year to that church. A little bit of planning and if they're older we could use the required minimum distributions bypassing their tax return saving taxes and still getting the higher standard deduction but effectively getting the tax break they used to or maybe setting up a donor advised fund you got somebody who makes contributions regularly hey front load a donor advised fund for five to ten years get a huge tax deduction now and still take that larger standard deduction I mean, that's planning. Small business owners, we could spend a whole show talking about things we could do with small business. But to answer your question is, planning is everything. And I feel like even just somebody who works a regular job, are you taking advantage of your 401k at work or similar plan? And if you're not, maybe you should. Or if you're married and only one is taking advantage of it and the other isn't, and they're missing out on um, matching contributions, I mean, we've got to look at that and say, wow, you should get it in both. And I talk about that in my book. There's a lot of those kind of things in there. But planning is everything, in my opinion. So just to kind of sum up, just tell people in general what kind of opportunities there are to save on their taxes. We've talked about some details if they spend more time and attention to all this. It literally could mean thousands of dollars to them. I remember one case where we had a $5,000 IRA contribution made after the year was over. They didn't even know they could do that. And it saved this particular person $9,000 in income taxes. Doesn't seem possible, but it was because some of the tax code has cliffs in it. Right now we're under temporary regulations where some of the cliffs with the ACA, meaning Obamacare qualifying is more of a phase out than a cliff. But not too long ago, $1 over and you missed out on your entire amount of subsidy. Next year, meaning or this year, 2022, it comes back. So basically, cliffs in the tax code, $1 over, you could lose a credit. Make an IRA contribution if you're eligible, you can bring back that credit and that could be worth thousands. 
So it's real and it's lost money all the time. I talked about 1.5 billion in the past that was just easy money missing. That's dwarfed by the money that is missing from people's pockets if they just chose to plan a little more and look for these opportunities. It's really quite amazing what's available if you learn about these things. And that's what his book does. My guest this hour has been Christian Bishop. He's a certified financial planner and author of the book, Hidden Cash Uncovered, Tax Tales, Tips, and Truths That Could Save You Thousands. You can find out more about it at his website, hiddencashuncovered.com. Thanks so much, Christian. I think we learned a lot about saving on taxes this last hour. Thank you for having me on your show. I really appreciate it. Thanks again. We'll be back next week with another edition of The Money Answer Show. Goodbye for now. Thank you for joining Jordan Goodman and The Money Answer Show. If you have a question for Jordan, please visit his website at www.moneyanswers.com. And be sure to tune in every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time right here on Voice America Business. See you next week.